keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. And today... We are out of studio. Joe and I will be out of studio until Monday. Joe will be back. I will not. And Rudy Carlos will be back in the studio. We'll be in the studio for the first time, actually. And praise be to God, that will be amazing. So what do we have for you today? Well, today, tomorrow, and Friday, we are going to be having a best of show. That means our favorite shows from the last year, because can you believe it? We have been doing this thing for a year now. So praise be to God for all of that. And, you know, we're going to show some of my favorite episodes of Catholic Drive Time. And in the future, let me know what your favorite shows are, because I would love to know and I would love to be able to pick some of your favorite shows in the future whenever we have our next best of. Okay, so without further ado, let's do our memorare and then I'll introduce the first show or the first uh, interview. In the name of the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me, amen. And amen. And let's uh, go into the first interview, which is with Gabriel Castillo, one of our first interviews we ever did. And you may hear a familiar voice that has not been on the show for a very long time. So that interview with Gabriel Castillo, the first interview we did with Gabriel Castillo is here right now. Well, with all that said, joining us right now by Zoom is the uh, the one and only great Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours. Good morning, Gabriel. Good morning, sir. How are you? Praise God I'm alive, and it's so good to be on with you. Thank you for taking the time to be on our show today. It's my pleasure, my pleasure, of course, to talk about the Blessed Virgin. I'll do anything. <laughs> you are a slave of the Immaculata, and that's what I love about yes. you most, I think. Um, and let's, she, even though ahead. I'm a slave, she pays me well. She <laughs> gives me a lot of grace. <laughs> well, praise be to Jesus. Let's start by uh, plugging uh, Gabby After Hours, uh, your YouTube channel. You've been on YouTube for quite a long time. You've done such really incredible and and it gets more beautiful every single day tell us about the nature of your programming there and maybe what's up your sleeve coming down in 2021 so we've got a lot coming down in 2020 the inspiration for all of this obviously is the theology of maximilian colby that we can spread the immaculata to the ends of the earth and bring jesus christ to the world as soon as possible and we do that using the best technology available to us and so for 2021, we have, I have a lecture that I'm posting in the next couple of days on the way of Mary. Then we have an epic uh, documentary called Testimonies of the Rosary for Men. We have a video coming out on spiritual warfare. We have uh, a program where we're going to make a home enthronement program with images that people can download so that they can enthrone their own homes uh, virtually, but really, truly by doing the holy water themselves, doing the prayers themselves. And we've got a lot of other great programs coming down the way. So you should subscribe there at Gabi After Hours. And the easiest way to, because you're like, what is this Gabi? How do you spell Gabi? That's a weird name. You can just go to <laughs> www.truefaith.tv and then you can find out more information there. Truefaith.tv. We'll, of course, post links to it 
uh, along with this video as well. So truefaith.tv or just search for Gabi, G-A-B-I, After Hours on YouTube. You'll find it. I promise you'll be blown away. It'll be amazing. Let's talk about Our Lady and let's talk about uh, her being the mother of God. In the last hour, we spoke with Tim Staples. Uh, sort of a well-known Catholic apologist working for Catholic Answers about the the biblical defense and the history behind uh, the Church's teaching on Our Lady as Mother of God. I, I want to turn to you and maybe talk more about the uh, the spiritual side of it or the practical yes. side of how do we live our lives as yes. uh, Our Lady being the Mother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, I, I want to first mention why. Right now we're living in a time where it feels as if the tr- Church is going through a great mediocrity and a great failure. But if you look throughout the history of the church and the history of salvation, the ones who were the greatest, the ones who were the most heroic were the most Marian, starting with Jesus himself. You couldn't get any more Marian than Jesus. He gave himself totally over to the Virgin Mary. St. Joseph, this is the year of St. Joseph. He was completely consecrated to the Virgin Mary. St. John the Apostle, St. John Paul II, St. Paul, all of the greats were heroically Marian and they derive their strength from Mary. So if people are living a mediocre lives, the first place they should check is where's, where's Mary in my life? A lot of times people make a Marian consecration and they say, well, what is Mary gonna do for me? Because Mary's got a lot of power. She's got a lot of privileges, but because of Mary's power, we should be saying, what should I do for our lady? Sometimes we think, well, Mary's my mother. She's my queen. My mom will do this, that, and the other thing. And she'll do many things for us, but Jesus, the perfect model of Marian devotion would, as a good child, would say, Mary, what do you want of me? And so that's very important. And sadly, through the Protestant Reformation, according to Maximilian Kolbe, a great theologian, as you know, he would say that one of the worst, there's many bad things that happened because of the Protestant Reformation, but one of the devil's most insistent snares that he has spread through Protestantism is our second guessing our relationship with the Virgin Mary and causing us to doubt how much we can love Mary. And he would go on to say that nobody can love Mary more than Jesus did. He loved her perfectly. And if we were to take a look at scripture, just briefly, I know you had an amazing apologist, Tim Staples on earlier, but it's important that we realize that if we're looking at scripture objectively, from the very beginning, this is about a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and at the Proto-Evangelium in Genesis 3.15, God the Father says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. And obviously, first and foremost, that offspring is Jesus Christ. But we find out, according to John, who is one of the greatest of all the Marian devotees in the book of uh, the Gospel of John, that the woman is Mary. And at the foot of the cross, Jesus says to John, and Jesus says to Mary, woman, behold your son. So we are associating the Virgin Mary with Mary, with the new Eve. And then again, John in the book of Revelation in, Gen- in Revelation 12, 17, it says that the serpent went off to make war against the woman and her offspring. And those offspring, according to the book of Revelation, are those who hold to the 10 commandments and give testimony to Jesus Christ. So we are all Mary's offspring. And we first and foremost have to accept that because we are in a spiritual war and it's a war that's been throughout, that's sown throughout scripture from the very beginning to the very end. And if you want to win the war, you have to be on the side of the Virgin Mary. And as you well know, Maximilian Colby was famous for saying that the Immaculata alone has a promise from God to crush the head of the serpent. And so as Mary, mother of God, that means a lot of things for us spiritually so all of our dogmas they have consequences 
And so because Mary is the mother of God, according to St. Alphonsus, whatever belongs to the king also belongs to the queen. And so and he, all St. Alphonsus would also say everybody obeys the Virgin Mary. All of nature obeys the Virgin Mary. And even God obeys the Virgin Mary. When Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Virgin Mary by becoming her son, because he's a perfect son, his, his life was one of absolute obedience to the Virgin Mary. So you have Emily, you have Adrian Fonseca working there on the radio station. They're great children, but they're not perfect children. They don't follow their mother in absolutely every single whim. Jesus was absolutely obedient to her, would do whatever she asked. And so that carrying over, that obedience carries over into the spiritual realm as well. So St. Alphonsus would even go on to say, to go this far, that Mary, you can consider Mary omnipotent, not by nature, because God is omnipotent by nature, but by grace as a gift that she can have whatever she wants and God will always say yes. And she never asks for anything that God doesn't want. And this is played out beautifully in the gospel of John, where John calls, what Jesus himself calls Mary woman. And we see the woman interceding on behalf of those who are helpless. And Jesus goes on to say that it's not my hour, but he does it anyway. So we have in Mary and Maximilian Colby would call her an, an omnipotent advocate. So, we, so she, in a way, she's omnipotent in the way that she can tug on the heart of God the Father because she's a perfect daughter. Because on the way that Jesus, the perfect son, obeys Mary, who's the perfect and most loving mother, and she's the perfect spouse. So the Holy Spirit is constantly listening to her. So also, we also believe that Mary is the mediatrix of all grace. And so the theologians teach us that we all receive actual grace which is the grace that God gives us at every moment to do his will. So some people will say, well, how is Mary present to me? How can I have, how intimately is this relationship taking place? It is so intimate that if God is giving you every single grace through the Virgin Mary, and at every single moment you're receiving actual grace, that means at every single moment, the mother of God is with you. At every single moment, the mother of God is watching you. And all you have to do is call upon her name and ask her, Mary, how can I be a beautiful child to you? And Mary will do, yes, it's true that we should do a lot for Mary, but Mary will do so many things for you. We, we all, one of the most common questions I'm sure you get on your program is, my son, my daughter, they've left the church. How can I help to save their souls? Or people, one of the biggest uh, fears that people have besides public speaking is death. How can Mary help me at the hour of my death? When you give your life over completely to the Virgin Mary, you give her all of your worries, you give her your, your children, you give her your spouse, you give her your fear of death or whatever your fears might be. She takes those as her own. Now, mm. so you're worried about your child converting. You're saying, Mary, I give you my life. She takes your child and she loves your child more than you do. So any, any client, any child of the Virgin Mary, in so far as they are being true children, not just asking her for things, but trying to do her will, trying to hold to the testimony of Christ, trying to live the Ten Commandments, she will not forsake them and she will not forsake their intentions. There's some stories in the book, The Glories of Mary by St. Alphonsus, where a mother was interceding on behalf of her son and her son, who was a, a sinful man, ended up being saved and devils were complaining that they didn't even get a fair trial. This person deserved damnation, but because they had interceded on be, with the mother of God, they didn't even get a fair trial because the devils is a, is like a strong lawyer. So it was completely, uh, 
completely a waste for him. So we have to go to the Virgin Mary. One of the things that most people are struggling with, and uh, the uh, famous exorcist from Rome, Father Gabriel Amorth, would say that many young people are struggling with the devil in the realm of lust, in the realm of temptation towards impurity. And St. Alphonsus also teaches us that the name of Mary is synonymous with purity. If you call, every time you call upon the name of Mary, you're more pure than the second before. Every time you call it upon the name of Mary, you're more humble than you were the moment before. Well, because an act of humility is asking for help. And so Mary is, we're asking Mary for help and she's helping us with that. St. Alphonsus would also say that if you're struggling with impurity and you don't know if you sin, you're there in the heat of the moment, the temptations are raging, you're feeling the burning in your chest that you want to commit a sin. If you've called upon the name of Mary and you're not sure whether you committed the act or not, that St. Alphonsus says, then you can be assured that you did not commit this sin. And if you found that you actually did commit the act, if you call upon the name of Mary and you're in mortal sin, you won't remain in mortal sin very much longer because one of a mother's jobs as mother of God, mother of man, mother of Christians, is to make sure that they return to the state of grace as soon as possible. We're talking with Gabriel Castillo from Gabi After Hours on uh, YouTube. And we're talking about Mary as the mother of God. And that's a powerful testimony there, Gabriel. Thank you uh, for sharing that deep insights. And I want to say that most of us probably don't spend a lot of time reading St. Alphonsus Liguori. And right. a couple of things that I was thinking about when you were talking about that is how difficult the subject really is, especially for non-Catholics, but even mm-hmm. for Catholics that aren't very well studied in their faith. And, uh, you know, yeah. uh, like, for instance, uh, that Mary is omnipotent, not by nature, but by grace. I think of John chapter 15. Uh, you know, the vine and the branches. The vine is Christ. We are the branches. And the branches connected to that vine on earth. Uh, we're connected to the same vine, whether we're on earth or in the beatific vision. It's the yes. it's the vine that connects the church. And it is through that vine that this grace is communicated and, and given to each and every one of us. And so what a powerful gift and what an awesome God we have that he would give us a mother yeah. like Mary. But I know, Emily, you had a question for, uh, for uh, Gabriel Castillo today. Right. Uh, so holiday season, a lot of people are going back and forth from home. I'm going to give you a question you've mm. never heard before. Do Catholics worship Mary? Yes. What's the answer for the <laughs> those who are being asked this by the... You'd be surprised. This is the most frequently asked question I see on social media. Somehow it just no, comes up we, we over abso- and over Obviously, we absolutely do not worship Mary, but the amount of honor we give her doesn't even come close to a fraction of coming to what she deserves which is still nowhere close to worshiping her. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Many Protestants believe Christians can be absolutely sure they're going to heaven because John tells us in 1 John 5.13, I write this that you may know you have eternal life. But is this true? The answer is no, and here are some reasons why. First, John writes in the next verse, and this is the confidence which we have in him. For John, the knowledge we have of our salvation is not a certainty without doubt, 
but a confident assurance. And that's the Catholic belief. Second, we know this is what John means because in verse 15, he draws a parallel between our knowledge of salvation and our knowledge that God grants our requests. Do we have absolute certitude that God will grant our requests? No, but we are confident he will answer. So, Catholics need not worry. John is not teaching Protestant doctrine here. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Catholics worship Mary? What's the answer for the, those who are being asked this by the... You'd be surprised. This is the most frequently asked question I see on social media. Somehow it just no, comes up we, we over abso- and over Obviously, we absolutely do not worship Mary, but the amount of honor we give her doesn't even come close to a fraction of coming to what she deserves, which is still nowhere close to worshiping her. <laughs> yeah, that's a, really, so, that's a really great point because... I think we are often uh, we we kind of when we have this idea of that we're worshiping Mary and not giving the due worship to God. I think the problem that people are having with this is one, we're not thinking of God highly enough. One and two, and because we're not thinking of highly enough of God, we think that our love and our adoration and our uh, and our love of uh, of God is limited to the yes. proportion of which we give our love out to other people. But it's the same way that you would say, like, I love my parents, for instance. If I love my mom 100%, that doesn't mean I'm taking away love for my father. Uh, if I love my mom 100%, I can still yes. give 100% of love to my father in the same way we do with our mother. Now, I, I have a question. Let me, let me Go ahead. Let me add this to that, because I think every Christian, even a Protestant, would admit that the essence of holiness is union with Jesus Christ. All we desire in life is to be one with God. In heaven, we're going to be one with God. The more Marian you are, that means the more you entrust yourself to the Virgin Mary, the more united to Christ you are. The more, you, the more she becomes your mother, the more you try to please her, the more Jesus-like you become. And that's why St. Alphonsus says that no child of Mary shall ever be lost because that is the very most basic way that you can be united to Christ is to have the same mother. We're talking with uh, Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours. You know, I was also just thinking of, you know, this question about uh, do we do do Catholics worship Mary and what you were saying there about we don't give her enough. I, you know, one of my favorite uh, Renaissance artists is uh, Caravaggio. And oh, one of the reasons why I love his paintings is because the use of light, he was his use of light and detail was so dynamic that it really makes mm-hmm. that image almost feel lifelike. And you can sit there and ponder on these images and just just be lost in them somewhat. The artist himself would have never felt, if he was standing next to this image, and I'm just like ignoring him and paying attention to this beautiful piece of artwork, this Caravaggio artwork, he wouldn't be offended that I would pay no attention to him. He wouldn't be offended that I was looking lovingly and, and, and just in awe of the art and the skill and the image and the, and the message and the emotion that's communicated through his yes. craft, through his skill. How much more would that be true for God, who created you, the most think, perfect you, mother possible for his son? If you think about musicians, you go to a music concert and they're playing their most beautiful masterpiece. It would be an insult for you not to stand up and clap after they played their best hit. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, true story. If you're, by the way, fun fact: if you're in China and you're eating at a meal and you don't belch afterwards, the chef is insulted because you didn't yes. compliment them. True story. At any rate, we're talking about the Mother of God with Gabriel Castillo, Gabi. After hours, we have about uh, I don't know six or seven minutes left in our conversation with him about the Mother of God. Maybe we can turn to what is the best way to mark this day. I mean, we go to Holy Mass. Okay, uh, I, I have a. It, Yes. But go ahead. What, what, what would you offer us as to so a way have, to, to have really three, commemorate? I have three practical ways. Because we are incarnational, we need to do things physically. It's not enough to simply, it is good to harbor a love for Mary in your heart, but we should do things concretely. First, I would say, if you're not wearing a brown scapular, go buy a brown scapular and enroll yourself. Find a priest to enroll you in the brown scapular. Pope Pius XII said that, that wearing the brown scapular is the manifestation of consecration to Mary. It's a manifestation of setting yourself aside as a child of Mary. When you think about what Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity did, he became flesh. He literally took on 100% of the DNA of the Virgin Mary. He clothed himself with his flesh, with her, with her blood that flowed through his body. And so too, when we wear the brown scapular, it's like we're putting on her clothes. We're putting on her flesh. We're putting on her protection. So I would say first and foremost, wear a brown scapular, get a brown scapular. You'll notice I'm wearing a miraculous medal. It's another beautiful devotion that Mary actually promised graces. So the first was the brown scapular. She promised that nobody who wears a scapular would suffer eternal fire. Again, because that makes you a child of the Virgin Mary. It makes you united to Christ. But Mary also promised to Catherine Labore in 1830 that those who wore the miraculous medal, which is, if you look at it, it's Marian theology because it has Mary crushing the head of the serpent. On the back, it has Mary at the foot of the cross. It's got the 12 stars. It's got the heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary side by side, the heart of Mary uh, pierced by a lance. It's like the, the little gospel or the little uh, catechism of Marian theology there. And that those who wore it around the neck, especially with confidence, would experience great graces. And then finally, on the Feast of the Mother of God, if you are a child of Mary, you absolutely, besides going to Mass, you absolutely, even for those who are homebound, you absolutely must pray the Holy Rosary. Because if we're going to be obedient children of Mary, at all of the major Marian apparitions that have happened in the past 200 years, Mary has consistently said, pray the rosary every day. So you cannot call yourself an obedient child of Mary if you're not praying at least one rosary every single day. So those would be my advice to how to honor the mother of God is by kill yourself, kill yourself will. Uh, our Lord said, take up your cross and follow me. The rosary for many people is boring. I fall into that category most of the time. And so every time we pray the rosary, it's a little, a little death to myself and a little yes to God, a little fiat saying, yeah, here I am. I'm giving you my time. I'm giving you my space. I'm going to give you my mind and I'm going to think about your mysteries for a little while. I'll never forget one of my uh, my confirmation saying my one of my patron saints is Saint Padre Pio, and there was this uh, time where he was very ill. He, he, many many times in his life, he was very very ill, and he would run 114 degree temperatures. He'd break horse thermometers all the time. One such time, there was a visiting statue of Our Lady, and she had to be brought in by helicopter, and he wasn't able to come down and to spend time with Our Lady at, with the statue. And uh, and they were taking her away. And he went to the window and he, he begged her to come back. And she miraculously came back and he was able to spend time. And this is a guy who would pray. I can't tell you how many rosaries per day, but way more than I do anyway. So in the last next uh, four minutes left in our program with you, Gabriel, uh, we had you on before to talk about rosaries. But I want to I want you to maybe recap 
some of the best practices for praying the rosary. Some of us only pray five mysteries a day. Is that okay, or should we be praying yes. more? So St. Louis de Montfort says that it's not even a venial sin not to pray the rosary. And But I would caveat that with how many sins would you avoid if you did pray the rosary? So when the rosary was originally introduced, we often forget that Mary called it the angelic psalter, referring to the 150, Hail Mary, uh, 150 prayers in the book of Psalms. There was 150 Hail Marys. And the psalter or the liturgy of the hours used to be broken up for priests and religious and still is broken up throughout the day. And so to the rosary originally was intended to be all of the mysteries broken up throughout the day in the morning. So you have morning prayer, you have midday prayer, and you have evening prayer. So a lot of times we feel like the rosary is not working. And that could be because we're not praying the entire rosary, which all of the promises were associated with. Now, at Fatima, Our Lady requested the rosary, and there are some that say that in Portugal, the, the, the kids were using the word terca, which means a third or something to that effect. I don't speak Portuguese. So praying even just five decades is good, but if you really need maximum prayer power, you can pray more. So tips if you're going to pray all of the mysteries of the rosary is that only do the Apostles' Creed, etc., first in the morning, and then that begins the longer prayer. You don't have to do that over again. If you're going to pray, and many people, uh, they don't even know that you can pray more. You could pray the <laughs> same mystery. If it's like, so during Christmas, I've been praying the joyful mysteries multiple times a day just to remind myself of that Christmas spirit. You can do them in chronological order. You could do the joyful. You could do the luminous. You could do the sorrowful. You could do the glorious. If you're somebody who, for some reason, you just want to do the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, you could do those. It, there's really no hard and fast rules. What makes the rosary powerful is that it's sacred scripture. So that's Holy Spirit power there. You're meditating upon the life of Christ. That's the life of Christ. Not only are you thinking about it, but you're encountering Christ. And it, you're, you're praying the Hail Mary, which is the cornerstone of the New Testament. That's where it all began with Mary's yes. And too often we forget that the theology of Mary being our uh, mediatrix of all grace was because of her yes. When she said yes, that's when she became the mother of God and the child Jesus is in her womb. So really the Hail Mary, if, if you're trying to please the mother of God, there's no more beautiful words that you can, you can say than Ave Maria. So that would be my tip. Break it up throughout the day. Don't beat yourself up over it. A lot of times people say, I'm not good at the rosary. Nobody is good at thinking of about more than one thing at a time. So you can either focus on the mysteries or you can focus on the words. Just if you've prayed 10 Hail Marys or you, you lost track and it's been a while, just move on to the next decade and keep moving forward. You don't have to just keep restarting and restarting and restarting and frustrating yourself. You just keep moving forward through, with your prayers throughout the day as if you were praying the Liturgy of the Hours, for example. But you will experience extraordinary, extraordinary graces. I have seen so many young people especially, come through various addictions, whether that be sins of the flesh, whether that be addictions to their phones and technology. Mary has a way, once you accept her as your mother, she has a way of making you a good child. She treats you well, but at the same time, a mother with good children, she knows how to discipline them in just the right way. All right. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Gabriel Castillo from Gabby After Hours on YouTube. Thank you so much for being on us on with us today. And Sharing such beautiful joy. insight into the mother of God. God bless you. God love you and happy God new year you, to you friend. and your family.
Praise be to Jesus Christ. And that was such a great interview with Gabriel Castillo from Gabi After Hours. But we're going to not delay at all and jump into the next interview with E. Michael Jones on his book, Logos Rising. You're not going to want to miss this whole interview. Joining us right now via Zoom chat is E. Michael Jones, Dr. E. Michael Jones. He's the author of a book called Logos Rising and a History of Ultimate Reality, but put out by Fidelity Press, a press which he founded. Good morning to you, Dr. Jones. Good morning. Good to be here. Praise be to God. It's good to have you back on our show. Last time we talked about revolutions and uh, and their uh, the fruit of the revolutions in society, and we wanted to continue that conversation with uh, logos rising. Now you you've gone through a fair bit of of censorship in your life and your work, especially uh, recently. Uh, do you would you say logos rising got you in more trouble than even the uh, uh, your book on the spirit of Jewish revolution? No, no, not at all. Uh, the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit uh, was the big book in terms of censorship. Uh, it offended a powerful group. Um, uh, by the way, the second edition is coming out. It's been out for 12 years now, first edition, and nothing that I said uh, has made me, given me pause. Uh, it was right on target then. It was ahead of its time, and now it is part of what's going on right now. Uh, in case you missed it, uh, the Jerusalem Post accused Sean Hannity of being an anti-Semite just the other day. Oh, wow. If there was ever a man who spent his time licking the boots of powerful <laughs> Jews like Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, it was Sean Hannity. Um, so we're in the middle of a moral panic right now, where, uh, like the Salem witch trial, where anybody can be accused of witchcraft, except the modern witchcraft is known as anti-Semitism. Mm. But no, Logos, it does have relevance to what to Logos Rising, because Logos Rising, the center of that book, um, is uh, the the great moment of of evangelization in human history, which is basically when Saint Paul gets expelled from the synagogues. Are the biblical miracles too far-fetched to believe? Dead people rising, blind people seeing? How can a rational person believe such things? Well, it might seem irrational to believe relative to our general background knowledge, but relative to specific evidence, the obstacle of improbability can be overcome. For example, it's improbable for someone to rise from the dead. But if there were credible eyewitness testimonies, as in the case with Jesus, then belief would be rationally justified. Second, many skeptics often don't consider the improbability of the reported miracle being false. With regard to Jesus' resurrection, it's unreasonable to believe the apostles died for what they knew to be a lie, or that many different people had the same hallucination at the same time on different occasions. So miracles are not too far-fetched to believe if there is sufficient evidence to justify belief. I'm Carlo Brusard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects homebuyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. 
the Salem witch trial where anybody can be accused of witchcraft except the modern witchcraft is known as anti-Semitism. Mm. But no, Logos, it does have relevance to what to Logos Rising because Logos Rising, the center of that book um, is uh, the, the great moment of, of evangelization in human history, which is basically when St. Paul gets expelled from the synagogues. Mm. The Jews were determined that this message was not going to get out, and they did everything within their power. It's all in the Acts of the Apostles. We we're reading it now at Mass, uh, where they, the, the Sanhedrin comes to people like Paul or Stephen, and they say, well, you're not allowed to mention that name. Well, that name is Logos. Mm. <laughs> we're talking about the Logos incarnate, and they don't want that word to spread. And so it led to a crisis in the Catholic Church at that moment. Paul simply could not get into the synagogues anymore. Yeah. And that at this moment, uh, he has a vision, and there's a man. He's in Ephesus on the, uh, on the Aegean Sea, and he sees a man from the other side beckoning him, telling him to come over. Well, that's Greece. Uh, Paul could. Peter couldn't. Peter, Peter didn't speak Greek, but Paul did. Hmm. And so Paul went over there. Uh, and this is the this is the moment we have to be able to speak to the Gentiles now, and the Gentiles speak Greek, and so he goes over there, and he has this big moment uh, in Athens at the Areopagus, and he stands up there and he says, "I want to tell you about this man. Uh, this man rose from the dead." And at that point, everybody says, "Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk to you some other time." And he, they walk out. He failed. This was the first speech that he made to the to the Greek Greek world, and he blew it. Mm-hmm. And why did he blow it? Blow it because he couldn't address their concerns. This is a new group of people. You can't start off the way Saint Matthew did by giving a genealogy of Hebrew a uh, uh, Hebrew genealogy because they don't know who these people are. And I'm saying in my book, the center of my book, uh, Logos Rising, is basically that I think St. John was aware of this. Mm. Uh, St. John uh, knew about the failure at the Areopagus. He knew that this was a new era. He knew that they had to uh, have a new way of approaching the the, uh, Greek-speaking Gentiles. And so he came up with the prologue to his gospel which is one of the most profound statements in human history, and it's a turning point in human history. So he says, in arche en logos, in the beginning there was logos. Now, we translate it, in the beginning there was the word, and that makes it completely incomprehensible. I'm sorry, I've read it for my entire life, and if it's used the word word, it's going to be incomprehensible. I don't know what that means. I have to use the word logos. That's why I use it, because... Only that word has the richness that you need to understand what John is talking about here. He's drawing on an entire tradition of Greek thought, Greek philosophy, that began when they decided, the uh, people like Thales, uh, 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 physicists, decided they wanted to understand the ultimate reality. Was it water? That's what Thales said. Was it air? That's what Anaximenes said. Uh, when Heraclitus said it was fire, he then also said it was logos, because fire is like energy, and logos is an abstract principle, and this was the beginning of abstract philosophical thought. And St. John and God, I mean, we're talking about God here, okay? The Holy Spirit is the author of scriptures, but through St. John, God validated Greek philosophy. 
He honored what they had done because it was an honest attempt to understand ultimate reality. And that's the word that John used. So in the beginning, there was Logos, Kai Logos and Prostheon, and Logos was with God, and Logos, Kai Logos and Theos, and Logos is God. Logos is God. This was an incredible breakthrough in thought. And those last two sentences would be food for thought for the next 300 years because they are the root of our understanding of the Trinity. It took uh, 300 years to the Council of Nicaea before they figured out exactly the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So this is why this this word is important, and this book is about basically the whole—if the Jewish revolutionary spirit— is about Logos, anti-Logos. This is the opposite side of the story. This is the history of Logos. And I couldn't have written the Jewish revolutionary spirit without using the word Logos, because when the Jews rejected Christ, they rejected Logos. And when they rejected Logos, they became revolutionaries. And that's what they've been ever since. As long as there are Jews, there are going to be people who are rejecting Logos. So this is the other side of the coin. This is the history of Logos in itself and how that enabled the culture that we have today. The reason I want to bring this up is because I want you to touch upon the desire of every person for that which is greater than himself, but that which was revealed over time as Logos, as you say. But I also want you to hit upon where the church goes, so does society. And today I read a bunch of uh, headlines about schism and and corruption and and, and the faithful being led astray through uh, bishops and, and priests and our own sinful choices. And is it any wonder then we see around us in society that is totally decaying and collapsing around us? Dr. Jones. Yes. The, the main problem with the church is the church right now accepts the commands of its oppressors. It, 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 this is the worst thing you can do. Uh, you're constantly being confronted with uh, issues and to, being told what to think about the issues. COVID is the classic example of what I'm talking about. The church has said, oh, it's a vaccine. No, it's not a vaccine. There's your mistake. If you think it is, you're going to go down the wrong path. Okay. Now, this. let's back up here. Why, why do we think, uh, why are we talking about COVID or how do they talk about COVID? Well, that's science. And you can't argue with science. If I know this because I have people in my neighborhood have pe 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 signs on their front yard. Black Lives Matter. Science is real. Okay, so I can't argue with anybody who can't, has a white lab coat on. <laughs> How did this come about? It came about, uh, and I discussed this in the book uh, by a, a Frenchman by the name of uh, Rene Descartes, who was a Catholic, but divided the world up into uh, res extenso, which is the world out there, and res cositange, which is the world inside your mind. Uh, there's a radical dichotomy here that was introduced, and it enabled science, but it also, uh, where, where are we going to put religion? Uh, if that's the division, well, is it out there in the universe? No, it's in your mind. Well, if it's in your mind, then it's a private thing. If it's a private thing, don't impose it on the rest of us. We have science for that. That's the role of science. And so by accepting that, by accepting this role of science, the church has basically marginalized itself and turned itself into something subjective and personal and therefore don't impose it on anyone else. And so that, that led to the disruption, the destruction of the social fabric because it's based on the moral law, which is universal and not personal. 
Okay, that's that's the that's what led us into the problem we have today. Hey, Michael Jones, um, the a question I had was. The modern world seems to have abandoned logos as a whole, uh, not simply in the idea of reason, like in terms of the Greek philosophers, the era like Aristotle, Plato, uh, and the Greek classics like the Iliad and the Odyssey. These things are are culturally inappropriate nowadays. There, uh, and so people reject them. In the modern world, how do we reclaim a sense of logos, uh, not only in the idea of reason but also in Christ? How do we go back to to those roots? How how do we bring that back in, in, in education in society? The first, the first thing you have to understand that the the, the log when you use the word logos, you eliminate that whole dichotomy between faith and science, religion and science. That conflict goes completely out of, out of out of the room because logos is the order of the universe created by God. You're part of that order. Your mind is part of that order. Your mind is a special uh, creation of God that allows allows you to understand the order of the universe. The order of the universe is also the order, uh, an order that tells you how to act. You have a body that was created with certain uh, uh, functions. Okay, if you want to understand those functions, that's logos. So to the crucial uh, issue in our age has always been sexuality. Okay, is there an order to sexuality or is there not? If you look at it as it is, it seems to be ordered to procreation. But then you have these people who come along and say, no, no, we can, that's not an order because we have a pill that will make you sterile. That doesn't change. The fact that you take a pill that makes you sterile doesn't change that order of creation. Your happiness depends on, first of all, understanding the order of creation and then acting according to it. That's known as morality. Morality is practical reason. Morality is reason. It's rational behavior. If you want to behave, if you want to be happy as a rational creature, you have to follow re- reason in the universe, which is known as logos. There's no other path to happiness. E. Michael Jones, yes. The uh, the thing that I was I was reading recently about different uh, the early psychologist and and I remember I can't remember who it was. You probably would remember the one of the psychologists was saying how instead of trying to destroy the church with reason and arguments, they have to introduce sexual immorality into the church and into the people and into the clergy, and that will destroy the faith instead. So it seems like they are they recognize that the logos right. is uh, is not you can't destroy it, and so there has to you have to work around it. You have to get them to forget about it. Uh, your comments on that? Yeah, that was Wilhelm Reich, uh, a, a German a, a Jew psychiatrist, a student of Freud, a member of the Communist Party, and he realized that nobody was interested in the, the, the doctrine of the Communist Party, but everyone was interested in sex. And so he was the man who created the term sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he said. Don't argue with a seminarian. Just uh, get the seminarian to act uh, against the moral law and the idea of God will evaporate. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, the Catholic Church is too condemning. It needs to practice more tolerance. G.K. Chesterton says, the other word for tolerance is indifference, and the other word for indifference is apathy. 
The Catholic Church cannot afford to be apathetic. It cannot afford to be tolerant of evil. It has to be consistent in opposing what is wrong and defending what is right. And the Church especially cannot afford to tolerate social evils that are condoned by the state. Why? Because sooner or later, it'll be turned against the Church. History has shown this to be true more than once. Chesterton says there have been times in history when the church has been wedded to the world, but it has always been widowed by the world. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. Gloryandshine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Gloryandshine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At Gloryandshine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, Gloryandshine.com. Thank you again. German, uh, a Jew, psychiatrist, a student of Freud, a member of the Communist Party. And he realized that nobody was interested in the, the, the doctrine of the Communist Party, but everyone was interested in sex. And so he was the man who created the term sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he said. Don't argue with a seminarian. Just uh, get the seminarian to act uh, against the moral law and the idea of God will evaporate. That is the program. I describe, I describe that program in my book, uh, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. Reich was a crucial theoretician in the strategy to destroy the Catholic Church. Reich ended up uh, uh, in prison, uh, died in prison in 1957 uh, in the United States, but he ended up on the cover of of, uh, the New York Times magazine in 1970 because he played a crucial role in the revolution of 1968 in, in Paris at that time. That over this period of time, the left became sexualized. The Marxists stopped talking about economics and they started talking about sex. They all followed Reich down this path uh, because they saw how effective it was. The classic example is Ireland. I just did a show on Ireland. They were completely subverted by the sexual revolution that Reich had proposed, the discrediting of the Catholic Church because of the abuse crisis and so on and so forth. He's a crucial figure. E. Michael Jones is our guest. We have, I don't know, about three, four minutes left in our conversation with him. We're talking about Logos Rising, his book. We posted a link to it, by the way, uh, but you can find it uh, over on Fidelity Press. Uh, Dr. Jones, do you you find it at all uh, fascinating or interesting or even alarming that so many in our society today are embracing what they think is uh, so good socialism. I mean, we see the Black Lives Matter, Antifa, but Ocasio-Cortez and, and our Congress and Bernie Sanders and and just the, the, the people down the road from us in our neighborhoods and in our, in our schools, they, they seem to be embracing uh, Marxist socialism. Do they have any idea what they, uh, they seem to be espousing leads to destruction and death? Dr. Jones, what would you say? No, they don't, because so- socialism has changed. It's always changing. And so, as I said before, Marxism was talking about economics, but with the arrival of Reich, with the arrival of the Frankfurt School, with the arrival of people like Michel Foucault, the whole pro- approach of socialism changed to basically sexual subversion. That's why the sexual issues are absolutely crucial 
to uh, preserving a free society. If you want, if you turn away from the moral law as interpreted by the Catholic Church, you will end up a slave. And if you want a classic example, look at what happened in Ireland the precipitous fall of a Catholic country, all because of the embrace of sexual revolution. It's been a disaster for the Irish people, and now they are slaves to big tech uh, firms like Google and big pharma, uh, the companies they invited into their country for jobs and turned out to enslave them. So, all right, last question with just a few minutes left. What do we do? How do we fight the anti-logos? How do we win back our society? First, first of all, we have to begin with consciousness. We have to understand what happened. Uh, what, ha who does, how did those Catholic neighborhoods get destroyed? The uh, this is, I've spent my entire adult life, 40 years now, trying to figure out what happened to me as a guinea pig in these experiments of social engineering and sexual manipulation. That's why I wrote books like The Slaughter of Cities, Urban Renewal, Ethnic Cleansing, uh, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. The church does not understand psychological warfare. That's why they are losing every battle. The church cannot identify the enemy. The church has to be get up to date to understand what's happening to it all right praise be to god where can we find your book i guess you've been you've been deplatformed on amazon so what's the best place to look for your book go to uh, fidelitypress.org or culturewars.com only place you can find my books now your magazine does it still come out on a regular basis every month culture wars magazine we will be celebrating our 40th anniversary in december monthly magazine also available at culturewars.com and uh, that gets mailed right to them, right to their mailbox. It's all there. We have uh, you can have, buy a paper copy, or you can get it in electronic form. All Either right. Way. Praise be to God. Well, Doctor E. Michael Jones, Logos Rising: A History of uh, Ultimate Reality. It's been a great conversation. I wish we had more time with you, but we're we're down to it. Uh, God bless you and God love you, Doctor Jones. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Have a great day. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And that was such an, a great, such an amazing interview with E. Malcolm Jones on the topic of his book, Logos Rising, which honestly, it's such a great and wonderful book because it really breaks down the errors of modern psychology, which has been just pervasive all throughout society. So it's such a great interview. I'm so glad to have heard it again. And just so you know, all these interviews that we're playing today, tomorrow, and Friday will be up on our YouTube channel on Catholic Drive Time. You can go there and just search for that and you will find it. But this next interview is very dear to my heart because it is Dr. Theodore Rebar from the University of St. Thomas in Houston. He was one of my personal professors. And this is a topic of, should you send your kids to university? Should your kids go to college? And the answer from a university professor might actually surprise you. So if you hadn't heard this interview, here you go. And if you have, well, it's time to get a refresher and check it out on our YouTube channel. One I want to start with, should every kid go to school? I think there's a pressure in society that every kid's got to go to school or they're not worth anything. What would you say as a professor at a university? The answer is emphatically, emphatically no. Before ever thinking about college as such, parents have to think about whether college at all. I wrote a piece, um, uh, maybe it was about a year ago. Uh, you might be familiar, some of the audience might be familiar with uh, an online publication called Those Catholic Men. Mm. And I, uh, I think Jason Craig uh, of Certain Spade magazine 
uh, is the force behind it. Uh, and uh, the question that he asked me to take up uh, there was alternatives or why not go to college. And you might be able to look up that article on those Catholic men or via Sword and Spade and Jason Craig, where I uh, develop a number of reasons why not to go to college. But isn't it true that unless you get the degree, you're not worth anything in life, you never make any money, and you never amount to much? No, this is altogether, altogether false, and there's so much, the, there's so much evidence. Uh, it's, the, the evidence is more than ample mm -hmm. that uh, a college degree is, number one, in no way a, a measure of success of any kind. Mm. not even financial or professional uh, or in terms of status. And it's certainly not a guarantee of knowledge or understanding or of personal excellence. It's I, none of those things. Uh, Dr. Ted Rebart is our guest. Uh, he's a, a professor of philosophy at UST. I want to keep it in the philosophical realm this first segment. In the next segment, I want to get a little bit more practical. But uh, what should parents do to help discern whether or not their kid ought to go to college at all? Well, I suppose one thing is intellectual capacity. Not everyone, and this is simply a matter of fact, not all people are intellectually equal. I believe it was uh, the famous American sociologist uh, Charles Murray, mm -hmm. who about 15 years ago made this, and he refers to this as an astonishing truth, <laughs> uh, in, a, in a book that he wrote. Mm -hmm. And his point, and he certainly had tongue firmly in cheek, his point was <laughs> people are not intellectually equal, and that's manifest, but there is a great effort to deny that. So the first issue is capacity. And how is that evaluated? Well, partly through high school performance, partly through uh, extracurricular interests. Uh, there are a variety of ways I couldn't list them out. Secondly, there is a question of desire. Not everyone who is capable of a university degree, say in liberal arts, uh, is necessarily therefore mm -hmm. uh, someone who ought to move in that direction. Every single one of us knows that we do have talents to which we do not have a drive, and we have to let those sit aside in our lives. This is part of the matter of discerning vocation. So those two things are certainly very, very important. Uh, what about, you know, I've, as a parent, I always thought, you know, we, our job is to help our kids discern God's one thing for their life. Mm -hmm. God has one thing designed for every human being on planet Earth, mm -hmm. and it's up to us to try to discern and pray and ask God, what is that one thing? And maybe it's the call to marriage. And if they're called to marriage, okay, as a husband, as a father, what, it, what how do I provide for that family? And then what do I need to do to um, figure out what school, what, what skill sets, what tools do I need to make that, that provision work to pay those bills to provide for that family? I would imagine there are a lot of people on planet Earth whom God has designed never to go to college. Uh, not because they're not intellectually mm -hmm. capable, uh, but because that's not his will for them. What would you say to that? Well, the, the, the statistic about this, every once in a while I ask this in class, uh, because when you're in a university, the atmosphere is, oh, everybody is like us. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. And so the question I will ask students is, how many people in the whole world, by percentage, 
do you think are in your situation of pursuing uh, and probably completing a four-year college degree? And I get a variety of answers, sometimes down around 20%. Well, the, the, the answer is absolutely no more than 3%. Wow. Uh, it's very low, and 3% is a high number. So manifestly, college is not an essential ingredient for a human life of any kind, much less for a human life of great excellence. What about those students who... By the way, it is a lesson from the history of philosophy ever since the time of Socrates that intellectual excellence belongs to the few. Mm, wow. On the Cardinal Newman Society's website for recommended colleges for Catholic families, which I find... Very Praise be to Jesus Christ. And that's going to have to do it for this hour. But don't worry if you're going to stay on with us or well, you're going to hear the rest of the interview on the other side of this break because there's no game show and we're going to continue this interview on the other side of this break. But if you're listening on Station of the Cross, you won't be able to. But don't worry because you can actually go to our YouTube channel at Catholic Drive Time YouTube channel and hear the rest of that interview right there. And honestly, this is one of my favorite interviews because I have a dear, deep love for Dr. Theodore Rebord as one of my professors. But anyway, on the next hour, you're going to hear the rest of this interview with Dr. Rebard. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to back it up a little bit just in case you uh, forgot. So I'm going to back it up about one minute and then it'll continue through and you'll be able to hear that interview. And praise be to God. Thank you so much. At the same time, same place tomorrow, you're going to hear more of the best of Catholic Drive Time for the year of 2021. So praise be to God. We'll see you right here tomorrow morning. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. A friend of mine said that his church takes the Bible literally, but that the Catholic Church doesn't. Is that true? Catholics actually interpret the Bible in a literal sense, while many fundamentalists, evangelicals, and others interpret the Bible in a literalist sense. The literal meaning of a passage of Scripture is the meaning the author of that passage of Scripture intended to convey. The literalist interpretation of a passage of Scripture is, that's what it says, that's what it means. Here's an example to illustrate the difference. If you were to read a passage in a book that said it was raining cats and dogs outside, how would you interpret that? As Americans in the 21st century, we know that the author was intending to convey the idea that it was raining pretty doggone hard outside. That would be the literal or Catholic interpretation. The literalist interpretation would be that were you to walk outside, you would actually see cats and dogs falling from the sky like rain. No taking into account the popularly accepted meaning of this phrase. No taking into account what the author was intending to convey. The words say it was raining cats and dogs, so by golly, it was raining cats and dogs. That is the literalist or fundamentalist way of interpretation. Now, if someone 2,000 years in the future 
picked up that same book and read It Was Raining Cats and Dogs Outside, in order to properly understand that passage in the book, they would need a literal interpretation, not a literalist interpretation. Now, think about that in the context of interpreting the Bible 2,000 to 3,000 years after it was written. We need a literal or Catholic interpretation versus literalist or fundamentalist interpretation. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And this is actually not your host, Joe McClain. This is actually Adrian Fonseca, your producer. And today, Joe and I are not in the studio, neither is Rudy, though Rudy will be in studio on Monday. But for today, tomorrow, and Friday, we are going to be having our best of show. So we're going to be showing some of our best interviews, our favorite interviews from 2021, uh, and it's a little bit of 2020 because we have officially been doing this for a whole year now. Praise be to God. Can you imagine doing this for a whole year and you have been with us for all or some of it and thank you thank you so much for joining us and sticking with us through thick and thin hearing all these great interviews and if you have a favorite interview well let me know perhaps for our next best of show we can have your favorite interview being played but i don't want to waste any more of your time so we're going to pray the memorare and we're going to jump into the first interview in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now to jump into the interview that you might have heard a little bit on the other side, but they're finishing off the interview with Dr. Theodore Rebard on should you send your kids to university, to college. And the answer will probably surprise you, and you can check it out on our Catholic Drive Time YouTube channel to see the whole interview. University, the atmosphere is, oh, everybody is like us. (laughs) And so the question I will ask students is, How many people in the whole world, by percentage, do you think are in your situation of pursuing uh, and probably completing a four-year college degree? And I get a variety of answers, sometimes down around 20%. Well, the the, the answer is absolutely no more than 3%. Wow. Uh, It's very low, and 3% is a high number. So manifestly, college is not an essential ingredient for a human life of any kind, much less for a human life of great excellence. What about those students who... By the way, it is a lesson from the history of philosophy ever since the time of Socrates that intellectual excellence belongs to the few. Mm, Wow. On the Cardinal Newman Society's website... 
for recommended colleges for Catholic families, which I find very interesting. Number one, I, I thought this list was longer, or at least it used to be longer. Now it seems rather rather short, actually. Uh, the first college listed, I wonder if you could guess this, Ave Maria University in Florida. Then let me just go through these real quick because it's pretty short. Belmont Abbey College is on here. Benedictine College out in Kansas. The Catholic University of America in D.C. Christendom College. Hey, now, I like Christendom. Uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville. A lot of people are familiar with that one. The John Paul the Great University out in California. Uh, Magdalen College of Liberal Arts in New Hampshire. Thomas Aquinas College also in uh, California. Thomas More College also in New Hampshire. University of Dallas. That's a pretty well-known one. University of Mary in North Dakota. University of St. Thomas in Houston, Walsh University in Ohio, and Wyoming Catholic College in Wyoming, which is, I think, the one I would probably go to if I were 18 again. Um, But it's good to have you back on the program, Dr. Rebard. Uh, One real quick question before we get a little bit more practical in the rest of this segment, and I wanted to address one more type of scenario that I think we see a lot, and that is uh, sending kids off into the world to find their way to... There's a lot of... uh, kids that go to college not knowing what they're called to in life, what not knowing what they really need to, to do in order to provide for their actual vocation. They're just there to have a good time, to, to sort of be that perpetual student that never mm-hmm. gets to anything, kind of never grows up. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that before? I see, it a, I see it a great deal. I see it in the vast, vast majority of all cases of undergraduates. A colleague of mine and I have had a laughing but sad debate <laughs> over the past several years whether that number is 85% or whether it is 90%. Oh, oh, oh. Wow. <laughs> Scorched earth. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, uh, it's it's true. That's not just my experience. That is a very, very broad uh, experience. Wow. By the way, I wanted yeah. to make one quick comment. You mentioned Wyoming Catholic favorably. I think the world of everything that they do at Wyoming Catholic. And if I were 18 again, if we could yeah. turn the clock back yeah. 50 years, yes. I yes. would go to Wyoming Catholic. I mean, riding horses through the mountains. Uh, while also studying Thomas Aquinas? Uh Yes or yes? Yes or yes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, go ahead, Joe, please. Well, I mean, I just think this is part of of parents helping their kids to discern. uh, Step one, what is God's call for the child's life? And step two, what do they need to obtain that? And I just think many Catholic families that I've met and talked to over the past plus 20 years, uh, they just buy this line that their kids have to go to school no matter what. And then, uh, you know, they sort of when it comes to discernment, they go, OK, my kid isn't called to priesthood or religious life. Whew, all right. Now they can go do whatever they want versus whatever God wants them, wants of them. I think that's part of the discernment breakdown. Mm-hmm. And then I see a lot of uh, families pressure their kids to go to their alumni school, so the big box schools, uh, because that paper means more when it comes to job time. Mm -hmm. So I want to get more practical at this uh, for the rest of our segment here. How would you help parents better discern if their kid must go to college? What should they think of? What should they consider? What, What are the factors? Every good curriculum, every good curriculum, even if it is to be focused in terms of pre-professional studies, pre-law, pre-med, computer science, things of these sorts, the business disciplines, 
every curriculum must contain a very, very large proportion of liberal arts studies in history, literature, language, theology, philosophy, uh, at least, at least those. Art history should be included and something further in fine arts as well. Uh, a large proportion. But does, these, and, and, and yeah. I want to take just a moment sure. here because you've given me the opportunity to say why. Okay. Many people would say, why should they study literature? Why should they study philosophy? Why should they study theology? Leon Cass, one of the great professors of the entire 20th century, graduated the University of Chicago, the University of Chicago Medical School. He did his uh, biochemistry uh, PhD at Harvard. Uh, he taught at St. John's College in Annapolis, and he and his wife both went back to the University of Chicago to teach there as well towards the end of their career and towards the end of Amy's life. But <clears throat> I want to quote Leon Cass. Uh, <clears throat> It's helpful, incidentally, to know that Leon Cash was the son of immigrants, mm. no money in Chicago. Uh, <clears throat> he says the following. Today, quote, Leon Cash, today we are super competent when it comes to efficiency, utility, speed, and getting ahead in the world. Mm. But we are at a loss concerning what it is all for. Mm. Well, to that point, then. One of the, the follow-up question I was going to ask is, when you say they have to have a strong liberal arts, I would agree, but I cringe as a parent because most universities have gutted their liberal arts departments and they've modernized them into some crazy utopian wokeness that I would fear for my child's Those soul. Those things are not to be studied in public universities, and they are not to be studied in most even Catholic universities. Now, we ran into this problem yeah. oh, a number of years ago, I'm going to say 20 years ago, uh, at the University of St. Thomas, and the English faculty managed to turn themselves around. Oh, wow. And we have people like Janet, Dr. Janet Lowry and Clint Brand uh, and um, Jim Barloon, uh, Charles Crone, who do phenomenal jobs at the real thing. Mm -hmm. But yes, you're entirely correct. And shouldn't parents like figure that out before they send their kids off to these schools. Yes. Like what is the uh, what what what's the liberal arts department like there? Yes. Because <laughs> that's a good litmus test for the overall. Oh university. yes, it is yeah. because it reveals the culture that is at work in that school. So would you say then parents shouldn't send their kids to to woke schools at all? No. Well, I will draw. I make one exception, and I think it's pertinent to something that you've said already, or at least that you have uh, hinted at. If you are going to do, if a student is going to do pre-professional studies, mm -hmm. uh, as I say, pre-law, pre-med, business disciplines, things like this, uh, it can be perfectly okay to go even to a big box school, as, as you say. <laughs> um, but that child needs to be acutely aware, I am in enemy territory. Yeah. Uh, and not be seduced and not be moved by uh, what is common, what is popular, mm -hmm. what is acceptable. Yeah, and I, that's hard. Yeah. That's a real challenge for courage 
in a young person. And preparation for the parents mm-hmm. with their kids. Absolutely. As someone who just graduated from university system, I think that is incredibly important because I know a lot of students who are like, well, you think you know better than the professor? Uh, my professor said I meet with people who went to UT, who went to other major universities. We're talking and they're like, my philosophy professor said X, Y, and Z. Uh, you think you know better than my professor who has a PhD in philosophy? I'm like, um, if he's saying nonsense, then yes, yes, I do. Uh, and this is the point I, I think this should be made. A lot of parents think that, oh, I'll just send my kids to a Catholic university. Then they will receive a good education. Um, but is that true, Dr. Rebard? And can we trust the Newman guy to show us which, which schools are the good ones? To take those two questions in order, the first answer is no. One of my best friends um, whom I've known, we were 14 when we met, freshman year of high school. We happened to be in the same sections. Mm. Uh, and he just uh, or rather his youngest daughter uh, just graduated from Villanova. And this fella is quite sure, and his wife is quite sure, well, we sent all of our kids, all four of our kids, we sent to Catholic schools. And it breaks my heart to say, Mary, Bob, you did not. Mm. You did not. And that is true in the vast majority of cases. It is my strong suspicion that the Newman Guide is not reliable. Really? Uh, we have, uh, and, and Adrian here can, uh, uh, has uh, firsthand knowledge of this myself, but in, for instance, the case of the University of St. Thomas, there were individuals from the university, faculty, staff members, parents and family, so on who reported to the Newman Guide, uh, which is run by a fellow by the name of Pat Riley, uh, that there are certain things that are happening here that are inappropriate for a school which you recommend. And what happened was someone from the Newman Guide called the president of the university (laughs) to verify this. Well, that's just not a canny move. Right. To uh, the guy in charge is going to say, oh, no, 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 pay no attention to those things. <laughs> nothing to see here. Move along, uh, nothing move along. to see here. <laughs> but uh, the Newman Guide is not to be relied on, shall we say, biblically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it's there's a certain sense of certain parents, I being one of them, you know, that you want to you want to protect your kid. You want to create a safe environment, a bubble, mm-hmm. as some would call it. And so some of these schools, you might say, kind of fit that description, St. Thomas Aquinas College in California. But I would also say that there are many cases where I have personally met, we have about a minute and a half left here, uh, parents that send their kids off and their kids are clearly not emotionally, spiritually, and mat- have no maturity to, to stand their ground in the midst of uh, an aggressive culture. Um, so I think it really comes down to helping kids better understand what is God's call for their life, and then where are they at now to based on where they got to go, and then find the appropriate... A JUCO college down the road may be the best choice for some of these kids, wouldn't mm-hmm. you say? Yes. Uh, By the way... We that, have about 30 seconds. That gives me an opportunity to say a word about what education is supposed to be, which would provide an index or a measure for parents looking at schools. A, an education is supposed to be not just intellectual stuff, that's key, it's first, it's number one on the list, but it is to be the formation of mind, of will, of imagination, 
of memory and of the passion. We're going to have to leave it there, Dr. Rebar. Thank you for your time. Praise be to Jesus Christ. What a great interview with Dr. Theodore Rebar. If you want to see that interview in full, it's on our YouTube channel. Go to Catholic Drive Time on YouTube and you'll find it right there. But we have to go to a break real quickly. When we get back, we're going to jump into the interview with Bug Hall and his experience in Hollywood as a Catholic. He didn't start off as a Catholic. He was converted by a famous exorcist priest. And you're going to find out about that story coming up just after this break. You're not going to want to miss it. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you in just one moment. Howdy. This is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Gloryandshine.com, a generous underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Gloryandshine.com is a Catholic family-owned company making a variety of personal care products ranging from lotions, soap bars, gift boxes, body mist, beard care, and more. At Gloryandshine.com, they state their mission is to, quote, craft every product with deep intention while holding a vision of sharing the gospel. They are good for the body, mind, and soul, unquote. God love you, Gloryandshine.com. Thank you again. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Let's not waste any of your time. Let's jump into that interview with Bug Hall. And if you don't get to hear the whole interview, that's available right on our YouTube channel. Just go to Catholic Drive Time on YouTube and type in Bug Hall, and you'll find that interview uh, with the, if you don't get to hear the entirety of it. But without further ado, let's listen to that interview right now. We're very excited to have Bug Hall as our guest on the program today. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you uh, for being on with us today. Uh, we're very excited about our conversation. We, we do have a break at 43 after, so I want to jump into it. Um, Hollywood star, fresh off the streets of the, or I should say the mean streets of Fort Worth, Texas, um, right into what seems to be the frying pan. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't have any Hollywood experience until uh, Steven Spielberg had a big open call for Little Rascals. They wanted non-actors specifically. That was what made the original show, The Little Rascals, the, our gang. That's what made it so charming. So they went around all the big cities and had you know five-hour-long uh, uh, auditions, and uh, I kind of wandered in. It was really just happenstance. And next thing I know, I'm in Los Angeles, and my life drastically changed overnight. I can imagine that was a big change. Um Listening to you tell your story, I've now watched uh, several of your interviews. One of the things that really caught my attention was you talking about being targeted by people on the set, and they had some sort of sixth sense uh, to find children who had been abused. And I think you had an abusive background from your biological father, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. So t I want to know about that. I mean, we all hear the stories. I mean, names like uh, Corey Feldman. Somehow, I, I'm, I'm 47 years old, so Corey Feldman was big as, as when I was a kid. Uh, Brad Pitt, mm -hmm. Elijah Wood, Mel Gibson. These Hollywood stars have all hinted at the sort of pedophilia or the abuse of children in Hollywood. But for, they always tend to backtrack on their stories. So you never quite know what's fact, what's fiction. What was your experience? 
Um, so within within a few weeks of production actually starting, because when I got there, we had weeks and weeks and weeks of rehearsals and wardrobe fittings and that sort of thing. But uh, once production actually started, you know, movie sets are really chaos. Like everyone's very, very focused on their individual tasks. Um, so it, it kind of makes sense that they waited until that uh, had sort of kicked off. Um, it was a couple, uh, which I didn't recognize at the time as a couple, but it was a, a two males. Um, and, uh, you know, they just kind of befriended me, right? They would take me to Disneyland uh, on the weekends and, uh, wow. Just kind of singled me out, right? Um, Why were they there? And, what, what was their purpose on set? You know, uh, one of them was a, an executive of some sort. Mm. Uh, one of them was in a, in a, just in hindsight, you know, sifting through my memory, I'm certain that one of them was some sort of a, a, a executive producer or associate producer or some sort of a producer. Um, the other one was on the production side. The other one was wardrobe, hair, uh, something something in that in that vein um unfortunately my memory is uh not sufficient enough to to be uh certain sure i understand and that was one of the things i respected in listening to your interviews because why didn't you come out why didn't you name names because the wrong people could be accused right yeah there's you know uh, there's a certain certain popular organization right now uh, organization if you want to call it that that tends to kind of throw names around willy-nilly and and uh tie pieces together right you know we all have that part of our brain that likes to sort of tie the the stories together um i the horror of accidentally accusing somebody that that i'm not certain of uh kind of keeps me up at night when i when i think about that so um, but in hindsight, I can put some pieces together. You know, you have to remember there's 200 people on a movie set. So at the age of eight, I wasn't certain of what anyone did. Right? I, I didn't have any experience on a movie set. So even the individual positions are hard to f pinpoint in hindsight. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, and, and then that was just one movie, right? The abuse went on for uh, quite a few years from project to project, almost, almost every project until I was about uh, 11 or 12. That seems rather intense and insane to outsiders like myself looking in on this. Um, I can't imagine how difficult, how painful and confusing that was to a child growing up in this crazy environment. But one of the thoughts that goes through my head, especially about that couple, right? But let's just use them as sort of a, a like a, a catch character for all these other people in your life. Did they not have a reputation that preceded them? Did people on the set not know, oh, that's that couple, um, and they're into that really kinky thing? I mean, did, were they not known? It's hard to say. Um, I, I, I don't think that it's unknown. Uh, I, 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 think that, I think that there is certainly an aspect of it that's, that's definitely known by at least people in positions of power. Uh, I, I, the fact that it's, it was so consistent throughout my, my youth, um, and it only ceased because of actions I sort of took, right? Um, I, I find it nearly impossible to believe that the people in positions of power, um, especially on the studio side, uh, don't know that this thing is, is very, very common. And in any other walk of life where kids are 
prevalent, whether it's schools or, I mean, anyone that's Catholic and wants to do youth stuff, there's all these background things you have to do. There's there's a, a classes you have to take, right? There's a whole whole slew. The fact that that isn't any kind of a requirement for films, I, I think is absurd. I served in the Marine Corps in boot camp. You know, they used to always brag about, you know, their job was to break us down and so they can build us back up again. And in some ways, listening to your story, Bug, I feel like that's what God was doing to you, breaking you down so he could rebuild you because you grew up in an atheist background. But uh, due to time here, I'd like you to jump to the point in your story where you're like 11, 12, and and, uh, you're finally taking a stand against the abuse. But that led into some other brokenness. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I um, I worked with a young actor uh, named Brad Renfro, who was probably the roughest uh, kind of bad boy reputation in the business uh, of all the child actors, right? He was sort of the river phoenix, I guess, of his day. And um, he really just, I really latched on to him, and he took me under his wing, and he he was always hinting at me and he would go fishing uh, and do all these things. And he was always hinting at uh, this abuse that's very prevalent in, in the business. No one ever talks about it outright. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a shame in it, especially as a young man. Um, but I was certain that that's what he meant. And in hindsight, uh, um, I know for sure that that's what he meant. And he would say, you know, you, you have to learn to be tough. You have to learn to, to, uh, to fight and to not take, you know, not take anything from anyone. And I took that on, right? And I started running with those crowds. And, and the the poison that comes along with that sense of security is, um, you know, all of the substance abuse and the alcoholism and, you know, the, the just the wild nonsense um, that, that goes along goes along with it. Um, and as you know, you were talking about the concupiscence appetites earlier. And once those are sort of sprung into action, they're very hard to put back in the box, so to speak. So. Yeah, so true. You said something in uh, several of your interviews that I watched um, that really stuck out to me, and that was uh, in regards to the the those that would abuse you um, sexually, emotionally, physically. They were attacking your innocence. They were envious mm-hmm. of your innocence. Talk to me about that. Well, I've spent a lot of time working through at least what I think is the cause of of this sort of evil. Um, it's part of what's kind of helped me cope uh, later in life is to l- at least understand the evil that's taking place, right? I mean, if you're gonna fight communism, you need to understand communism. If you're gonna fight whatever you're gonna fight, you should know your enemy. Uh, and it just hit me one day that it's not it's not lust that drives this, mm. uh, it's envy. Uh, it's an envy of innocence and, and the I think the the defining detail in my parsing it out was when I realized the day I stopped representing myself as an innocent child, the day that I started acting like a broken, screw up, uh, uh, you know, um, alcoholic at 12, uh, the abuse pretty much ceased overnight. Uh, There was no longer an innocence for them to 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 destroy. Uh, and, And that was that was the the defining sort of detail for me when I was trying to figure it out. Hmm. Is this of a demonic nature as this? It seems like so. I remember you saying in one of your interviews, how you tried to, when as an adult, go back into Hollywood with some of your other uh, Catholic Hollywood stars um, or former. And you, you were saying how it was just, it's just like, there's a spirit of, 
of wickedness that's just there in Hollywood that it's hard to go back. So I, I when I retired, when I quit and, and released my video, I was in the middle of a, a show that I had sold to Netflix. Uh, and during the sales uh, portion of that show, you know, we were in Disney, in, in Disney and, and Amazon and all these different places. Um, and it's just sort of the same sense across the board. Um, in fact, my one of one of my six relapses uh, was during that sales process. Um, uh, being at Disney was very hard for me. Being being in the executive suite, I was always there for auditions over the years and stuff. And you're in various you know various office buildings there, but being in the executive suite there um, was really hard for me. Absolutely, there's certainly a demonic. Uh, uh, aspect to this. Now, I, I would love to be able to say, oh, I saw the seances and I saw the, you know, I was there for the <laughs> the the goat head being put on and they sprinkled me with blood. Um, that would suck, by the know, way, if you were. <laughs> no, but, you know, I, I would love to be able to shine that kind of light if I was able to, right? Um, the reality is that I, I didn't firsthand witness anything like that. Mm. I did know explicit Satanists over the years. They were always low-level wannabe actors or whatever. Um, is is, the, is something more than pedophilia needed in order to prove wickedness, though? Right, and that's the thing. Is, is Ultimately, the demonic aspect of it is these people are, are fully controlled by demons, right? right? Whether they're whether they're aware of it or not, whether they're doing the same, yes. they're fully controlled. They've given themselves over in a way that um, the average person, when they're even when they're struggling with sin, hasn't given themselves fully over, right? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now we have I don't know five minutes or so left. We need more time. We have to rebook you. You got to come back. Uh, there's just, there's more to this story than we're going to have time to jump into. But I want to fast forward. Let's talk about your conversion to the church. Now you grew up atheist. You were abused, as we've just talked about. What leads you to the Catholic faith? Oh, we're going to have to cut it off right there. If you want to hear the rest of that interview, well, don't worry. We're actually going to play the rest of that interview tomorrow. And the, and the first segment at 6 a.m. East Central Time and 7 a.m. Eastern Time. But if you can't wait, that's always available at our YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time. And tomorrow we have more of our best of. You're not going to want to miss it. You need to find out what is what made the list for the best of Catholic Drive Time. Alrighty, we got to go. God bless you. God love you. I look forward to seeing you back tomorrow morning and live next week. God love you. for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the fifth day of the octave of Christmas and the memorial of St. Thomas Becket. 
The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Good Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give heed to what we say. Jesus Christ is born today. Ox and ass before him bow, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, and the glory of God the Father, Amen. Let us pray. O God, who gave the martyr St. Thomas Becket the courage to give up his life for the sake of justice, grant through his intercession that renouncing our life for the sake of Christ in this world, 
we may find it in heaven. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, the way we may be sure that we know Jesus is to keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, the love of God is truly perfected in him. This is the way we may know that we are in union with him. Whoever claims to abide in him ought to walk just as he walked. Beloved, I am writing no new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word that you have heard. And yet I do write a new commandment to you, which holds true in him and among you. For the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother remains in the light, and there is nothing in him to cause a fall. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness. He walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The word of the Lord. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all you lands. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Announce his salvation day after day. Tell his glory among the nations, among all peoples his wondrous deeds. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. The Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty go before him. Praise and grandeur are in his sanctuary. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Alleluia, Alleluia, The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, the parents of Jesus took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to, to you, you Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. The Gospel for this day of the octave really presents us with a a moment in the early life of Jesus after he was uh, circumcised, brought to the temple, and there's this man, Simeon, who makes this beautiful prayer of praise. Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people, Israel. The church takes up this great hymn, in a way, a hymn, this canticle, Every night for night prayer, the very end of the day, after we have made an examination of our conscience, the ways that we have noticed God's working in our life, and the ways perhaps that we could have done better, we take up this praise of Simeon. And I think that's important for all of us, because have, as, as he says, he says, your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you prepared in the sight of every people. To think at the end of our day, have we seen the work of the Lord in our life? Have we seen how God has bestowed his many blessings upon us? And have we also recognized, well, the ways that maybe we have failed to recognize God's presence or have not responded well to God? I think that's, it, it really helps us to make a good examination of conscience. And when we look at that first reading from the letter of St. John, John, remember, is the one who said, this is the one whom we have seen, whom we have touched, uh, who, who is the word, who has become life for us. And that life is be given so that we could follow him, we could be uh, in communion with him. Because for John, it's not a matter of just imitating Jesus on the outside, making it look like everything's nice and uh, like Jesus, but really participating in the very life of Jesus. So he says that he gives us a sort of new commandment. This is the way that we know that we are in union with him. Whoever claims to abide in him ought to walk just as Jesus walked, as he walked. It's interesting when you think about Jesus took all the commandments and all the 250 precepts and he whittled it down to two at a certain moment. Somebody said, what's the greatest commandment out there? And Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, with all your strength. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He took all of that and he whittled it down to two, the basic two commandments. And then before, his, before he gave his life on the cross, he sacrificed himself for us, he brings it down to one, one commandment by which we measure our life. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the measure. That love has been made visible in Jesus Christ. And that's what we really celebrate this Christmas time.
That's why John goes on to say, he says, whoever hates his brother is still in the darkness. He's not in the light. Because we haven't loved one another as Jesus has loved us. And that's the new measure of our life. So let us, we, as we take up that same canticle of Simeon each day, as we praise the Lord because we have seen the love with which he has loved us, and then it has transformed us to love one another, that we may always examine ourselves and measure ourselves a Christ, according to Christ, who is love made visible for us. Amen. On this holy day, when the goodness and kindness of God our Savior have appeared, let us, dear brothers and sisters, humbly pour forth to him our prayers, trusting not in our own good works, but in his mercy. Let us pray for the Holy Church of God, that in integrity of faith she may await and may welcome with joy him whom the Immaculate Virgin conceived by a word and wondrously brought to birth. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the progress and peace of the whole world, that what is given in time may become a reward in eternity. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray for those oppressed by hunger, sickness, or loneliness, that through the mystery of the nativity of Christ, they may find relief in both mind and body. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the families of our congregation, that receiving Christ, they may learn also to welcome him in the poor, Especially remember those who are joining us online through Guadalupe Radio, for your personal intentions, for your, all of your family, for those who are enrolled in our Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let's pray for all those who have died and all who have lost a loved one in this holy and sacred time, that they may be consoled and comforted by the grace that Christ pours out in his Christmas mystery, and that the souls of those who have departed may rest in peace. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray, O Lord our God, that the Virgin Mary, who merited to bear God and man in her chaste womb, may commend the prayers of your faithful in your sight. Christ our Lord. Amen. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head the stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay the little lord jesus asleep on the hay the cattle lowing the baby No crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus. Look down from the sky and stay by my side on till morning is nigh. Awake. Oh, oh, sorry. Pray. Dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands. Same for our good and the good of all His Holy Church. 
receive our oblation, O Lord, by which is brought about a glorious exchange, that by offering what you have given, we may merit to receive your very self, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For through him the holy exchange that restores our life has shone forth today in splendor. When our frail humanity is assumed by your word, not only does human mortality receive an unending honor, but by this wondrous union, we too are made eternal. And so in the company of with the choirs of angels, we praise you, and with joy we proclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plane sum celia terra, Gloria tua, Usana in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Usana in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, 
his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven. And as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we, who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit, may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. Thomas Becket, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May the sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth. With your servant, Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let's offer to the sign of peace. Amnis Quit holy Miserere no hobis.
Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Through the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will visit us. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. Embrace you as if you are already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary, and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to god the king and peace to man on earth let us pray grant we pray almighty god that by the power of these holy mysteries our life may be constantly sustained through Christ our Lord. Amen. Before the final blessing, I just want to send a shout out to our Salt Sisters who provide the music for us in the mornings. I'm very, we're very grateful for all the time they spend to come to make our liturgies beautiful by their singing. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth, the Mass is ended. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er the plains, and the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strains.
the prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.